Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 13 of the Regato Podcast, a show featuring academics, authors, artists, and people who challenge the way we think and how to take action. Today, we're continuing our conversation with Dr. Matthew J. Thomas about his book entitled Paul's Works to the Law in the Perspective of Second Century Reception, which provides us with key insights on how the early church understood Paul's ideas on justification and the role of the law. Dr. Thomas earned his PhD from Oxford University and serves as a professor of biblical studies at the Dominican School of Philosophy and Theology in Berkeley and instructor in theology at Regent College in Vancouver. In this episode, Dr. Thomas talks with us about why early church writings, especially texts written in the second century, provide us keys to the earliest interpretations of the Bible, especially Paul's writings on the works of the law. He also discusses early church writings by Irenaeus and Justin Martyr and how they have personally impacted his life. And he talks about the benefits of reading the early church fathers and also how to get started. The episode ends with a detailed explanation of what Paul meant in Galatians 2 when he writes about the works of the law. Here's our conversation. And and I think the goal, like you're saying, is like, how do we get to like the so like as close to the source as possible? Yeah. Because if we can get to the source, like authorial intent, like what was actually meant and how it was perceived and understood by the churches, that's as close as we could possibly understand what Paul really meant. Yeah. Because the trouble that I get into too is like when we have our own kind of theological framework and whatever tradition we're part of, that kind of paints the picture and how I'm now reading that text versus like when you read the Bible critically, you're really trying to get to what was Paul actually saying here? Let me try to let me try to put this theological framework aside and just really look at that particular, you know, what was being said by Paul. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so so for me, you know, I've you'll you'll find in this book, I've I've done a lot of work in uh, or not not a lot of work. I, ha- I haven't done a lot of work. I've uh, I've I've built a lot on the work of, of Marcus Bachmiel. Who is uh, he's he's the, the chair of scripture over over in Oxford, and um, he he does really really good work in um, you know some, some of his books. Uh, so seeing the word is one of them, probably the, the easiest you know introduction uh, to the kind of methodologically the kinds of stuff that he does. He's done a lot of really good work in in showing how you can use early tradition as a historical guide. And as a witness to the historical realities that are, you know, that, that the texts go and, uh, you know, give witness to. And so um, looking at memory studies and things like that and just showing when you when you're looking at early interpretation, when you're looking at early, early reception. If we're talking, you know, in, in Augustine's time, you know, centuries later, uh, you know, can he go and talk to somebody and say, hey, you knew Paul. Can you tell me what Paul meant here? Not, not as easily. Uh, you, it's uh, that that probably isn't going to be be the, be the case unless you sort of have uh, people around who are kind of living to sort of Old Testament lifespans. Um, there's that probably it's going to be hard to find folks that that are like that. If you're looking though within the first 150 years after Paul, what what Marcus does a good job of showing is you have a couple of generations ties that are there um, to the apostolic figures where the the interpretation that you find from them is not is not strictly textual it's also informed by living memory of the people and the places and the events that were associated with them and so the example that he goes and uses is Irenaeus so Irenaeus who he's writing at the end of the second century um, you know against heresies is usually dated around 180 AD Um, but he was a disciple of you know Polycarp who was himself a disciple of John and so 
you have this tie that's there where he, you know, he, you know, growing up, his memories are hearing all this stuff that Polycarp knew about John and everything that John said and did and, you know, everything that he told him about the apostles and all the stuff that the apostles did. So you, so you, you can go and talk to somebody who actually knew the apostles there. And so within that, that particular, uh, you know, that, that you can say that the, the more or less century and a half after, uh, you know, after the, you know, the, the, the apostles themselves, uh, there is a, there's a privileged period there from a historical standpoint where what you're looking at is not just going to be, you know, hey, I opened a book and this is just what happened to, to occur to me. That doesn't mean that that's not valuable because even there they might go and share sort of cultural, you know, kind of, uh, you could say norms and things like that, that we, that might be, we might not have in the same kind of way. And so, you know, you know, Tertullian opening a book at the beginning of the third century, even if he doesn't necessarily have, you know, kind of, you know, apostolic living memory in the same kind of way, he might still share in some of the kind of unspoken assumptions that we culturally are more removed from. But if you look particularly in that early period, in that first 150 years, interpretation is going to be shaped by real memory. And so uh, he, kind of all of the details of that, he does a fantastic job in going spelling out. And so that's what I try to go. And uh, you, basically, I take that, that methodology and say, well, let's apply that to this question of worse of the law, because, yet, you know, the hope is, you know, we want to we want to get back at what Paul, you know, said originally, kind of what his original meaning is. And then also hopefully provide um, provide a ground for the kind of the back and forth between uh, you know, the, the old and new perspectives, provide provide ground to actually have a you know real constructive discussion because so so many of these debates back and forth which can you know in some contexts have gotten quite quite vitriolic uh there's just they just they just end up talking past each other uh there's no real common ground that's there so that's you know that's that's what i've i've tried to do with this book is to look at early you know Pauline interpretation and say hey here is here's everybody who was closest to Paul, you know, who we have, uh, you know, who seem to do, you know, be interpreting passages like this. What can they tell us? And can they go and give us some some common ground? Now, somebody could still go and reject all of that and say, no, Paul, Paul meant one thing. Nobody else knew what he meant until I came around. And now I'm going to go and tell you exactly what he meant. And in fairness, you can find certain new perspective interpreters who sometimes come across that way. So that is a that's a bit of, of a bit of a bit of a hubris that uh, you know whether old or new perspective. I mean, sometimes it feels like maybe the new perspective folks, at least some of them, can come come across that way at times. Um, but if you if you're gonna if you're not gonna go that route, if you're not gonna just say, "Hey guys, don't, read Paul, sure," and then I will be his, you know. I'll be his interpreter, and that's all you really need to know. If you if you want to do something more constructive than than that, I I think that you know the the early reception that that we have is is really valuable. I love how um, just your whole methodology of going back to like the earliest writers, and and I love how you mentioned like the disciple of John Polycarp, disciple of Polycarp Irenaeus, like that lineage, like there's something there, like they're passing on insights on scripture yeah. that the only way you're gonna capture it is by actually going back to read them um but for those who like myself who've never like sat there and like got a book by Irenaeus or looked at any yeah. of the church fathers like yeah. are there like do you have any counsel as far as like like the pros and cons of reading the church fathers like things to yeah. watch out for totally 
So some of, some of the cons are um, you might find them to be too inspirational. Um, you uh, if you have if you have sins that you've been hanging on to, you might be convicted and have to go and give give them up. Um, if uh, if you've sort of gotten used to having a kind of lackluster, mediocre Christianity, and we're hoping to sort of continue on that that trajectory sort of from here on out, uh, you that your life will be made a lot more uncomfortable. Um, those are the main cons I can, I can think of. Um, those are, uh, those are, those are, those are pro pro probably it. Uh, on the plus side, um, at least for me, I can say, uh, the, uh, the, the reading the church fathers, they, they destroy my lackluster Christianity. Uh, they, uh, in, in a positive way, not that, you know, that, not that they're, they're, coming at you mean wielding a sword and trying to behead me or anything but just in the sense of like they're they, they the, the way that you see um the you know the the full commitment to the faith that's there and then I, and then really i mean the joy that, that that goes and produces which is just you know effusive and jumps off off the text um it's uh i i, I just i i think it i think it's, it's one of those things where i, I don't think I can't think of any reason why a Christian of any kind shouldn't go and and read the Church Fathers, unless they're just not really interested in being a Christian, <laughs> unless they only kind of want you know want to be a Christian as a mean towards some 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 other end. Um, I, I I think that they're they're just fantastic, and even, and even saying like, hey, you know, read, read, read the Church Fathers. A lot of folks can you know, think, okay, well, I'll go and I'll read this 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 book on the Church Fathers, and that's. That's fine. I mean, there's a sense in which my book is kind of like a, a you know, a book on the church fathers are trying to go, you know, summarize a lot of what they're going to say, say in this area, this particular area. So, um, you know, if nobody, nobody read uh, any, any books written on, you know, on the church fathers, then nobody would ever buy buy my book. <laughs> so, uh, so I don't want to, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to be too, too, too harsh here. But gosh, uh, I, I, I can't go and commend enough just going and starting to read. You know, it's in, 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 uh, you know, we in, in English, we have the advantage of, you know, we have the, the old Antonicene Fathers series that goes back to, you know, the late 19th century that was all translated. Some, some of those translations are, um, you, you can say that they're uh, kind of long in the tooth as far as, uh, you know, as far as just the way the English language has changed. But overall, they're, they're great. And you can literally just start at the beginning of the Church Fathers. And just just read through. It's all it's all free. It's all open source online. I mean, you can grab your phone and type in you know Church Fathers uh, and and just start from the, start from the beginning there and literally read uh, you know on on your phone in the comfort of your home the uh, all all the testimony that we have from the time you know of the of the apostles onwards. And so I mean, for for me, I I can't really overstate how how challenging, how life giving, uh, you know, inspirational, you know, I've I've my my encounter, you know, with 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 them has been. Um, so um, so anyway, watch out for those things. Uh, be really careful. <laughs> <laughs> be really careful if you if you do have if you do have a bunch of secret sins that you that you have been hanging on to, um, you might want to turn off this podcast and just sort of forget. Forget we had this conversation. Um, yeah, go. I'm sure there's works of modern theology that you can find will be very compatible with all your secret sins. So stick stick with those. <laughs> well, you've uh, you've encouraged me to like dig in. What um, 
So for those who never have read any of the Church Fathers, what would you say, like, what would be a good starting point? Um, or maybe, like, is there a favorite, like, oh, this is a good one to kind of, like, get started with? Oh, that's, gosh, that's a fantastic question. Um, you know, as far as, as far as a short, like, hey, give me uh, kind of one thing to go and read. Um, a lot of people that I've, I, I, I remember uh, I was, I was doing, I was doing a reading group with some, some friends uh, uh, on the Epistle of Diognetus. Uh, this was, uh, sorry, our Epistle to Diognetus. This was maybe five years ago. And uh, I had uh, one, one of my friends, my friend, my friend Judah, we, we were there talking and he goes and he, as soon as we're done, he goes and he says, I, how is it that I've never read this before? Like, I feel like there's like some sort of worldwide conspiracy that's been going on <laughs> from keeping me from reading this. Cause this is literally one of the coolest things I've ever seen in my life. And I had no idea that it existed. I've never heard of this from anyone until you, like we sat down and read this right now. How in the world does this happen? Um, and, uh, I mean, I, you know, I feel that way with, with a lot of, a lot of these, um, and, but, you know, the Epistle of Diagnetus is, is, is a great one to, to go into, to start with. I have, I have a, a chapter, you know, in the, in the, in the book on that as well, which gave me some, some introduction, kind of background information on, you know, what it is and where, where it comes, comes from. But that's a great one just in that it's quite short. You can read it in, you know, 45 minutes, something like that. Um, so really, really accessible. Um. You know, beyond that, I, I don't think that there's anything wrong with just starting at the beginning. So if you if you get, uh, you know, Michael Holmes has the, the great uh, the great uh, Apostolic Fathers edition, uh, which I believe begins with the, with the Didache and then kind of goes on from there into First and Second Clement and into the you know the, the Epistles of Ignatius of Antioch. Um, those are those are all fantastic. They're they're just so they're so good. Um, uh, for for me, I the the two figures from the second century that have probably had the biggest influence on me are uh, uh, so Justin Martyr and then Irenaeus. Uh, they're the ones who you know it was it was when I read Justin Martyr's first apology, uh, which is he goes it was around 150 A.D. He writes to the emperor and the senate saying, "Hey, um, you guys probably want to stop killing us. If you don't stop killing us, it's okay because we're sort of taken care of, but." you guys aren't going to be okay. <laughs> and so this is in your own interest. Uh, and he goes, and he kind of, um, he, he kind of quotes uh, uh, the, the line from Soc Socrates where he goes and says, and as for you, you can kill, but you cannot hurt us, uh, which is pretty awesome. And, 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 and it happens. I mean, he gets, he gets killed. He's, you know, he's, he's martyred for, for, for the faith. Uh, I, Justin's writings are just, they're, uh, they're indescribably rich. Um, you know, his first and second apologies that he goes and writes. And then uh, his, his dialogue with Trifo, which is a really fascinating um, back and forth discussion that he has uh, with, a, with a Jewish guy, uh, Tri Trifo. And he, it's, as far as, you know, the early distinctions between Judaism and Christianity and all the things that they actually share in common, but then where they go, and the, you know, what the points of divergence actually are. Uh, really, really fascinating read. Um, and then, and then Irenaeus. So, uh, you know, against heresies, uh, is, uh, it's just a life changing read. Uh, it's, it's, it's in five books. The first two books are mostly talking about heresies oh. and most of them are, they're, they're so, they're so wild that they're almost completely unintelligible to us. <laughs> like, how is it that anybody could possibly believe these things? And so if you, you can kind of open the first book and sort of skim a little bit of that. And then if you just jump to, to book three, 
and then you know read books three, four, and five against heresies. Um, there's, I, I mean, you can spend your whole lifetime reading those along with scripture and just never fully exhaust, you know, all the riches that's there because in, in Irenaeus, you kind of have all of the kind of the, sort of the, all the apostolic tradition from this, this early period, you know, summed up and synthesized in one place. And it's, wow. again, it's, it's, I, I can't, <laughs> I almost don't have words to tell you how good it is. It's, wow. it's unreal. So. All right. Well, I'm taking notes because now I got a book list. Yeah. <laughs> um, gee whiz, that, that sounds fantastic. Yeah. And, um, I kind of feel like what your friend Judah said, like about like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. Like there's all this rich text that I never even considered reading yeah. before. Oh, and that's, that's, that was exactly how I felt as well. I was, I remember I, I read through, this was in the summer of 2011. Uh, it was, it was so after I written this, this, this first, first paper on this, which I, I wrote in, in the winter of 2011. I went and I read through kind of all the, you know, all the early church fathers up to, up to, up to Justin. So up to about 150. And I just remember going through this and thinking like, how did I never know this stuff? This is incredible. <laughs> this is like, and, and, and you know, what's interesting is I think that particularly for, particularly for us in our, in our cultural context, I think because from a standpoint of identity, because we, with, with sort of the fall of denominationalism, and the rise of kind of non-denominationalism, you know, kind of independent churches, things like that. So, so many of us come from backgrounds where we lack Christian identity. We lack Christian heritage. And there's a sense in which if you think of like the popularity of like 23andMe and stuff like that, and just kind of like how in a broader mm -hmm. cultural sort of standpoint, we don't really know where we come from. And people are hungry to have some kind of sense of, you know, I come from, uh, it turns out I'm from Bulgaria. Great. Like now I know. Uh, or whatever ha happens to be like, we we're we're so, we're so cut off from the past that we don't, we, we, we don't have the resources with which to go and to interpret the, you know, the present in any kind of like continuous way with, you know, where, where, where we've come from. And so I, I think that, that, that impulse that you find with things like 23 and me, I think that we have that as Christians as, as well. And in some ways I would say even more strongly where just at this particular, you know, cultural moment, we have no idea who we are, where we came from, and you know whether we're from you know a reformed tradition, a Lutheran tradition, you know, uh, kind of all all over the place. Um, we we don't really know what our our heritage is. We don't really know what our past is. And I think that that's one of the things that is really fantastic about learning about the early you know early church and studying the early fathers is no no matter what background you're from denominationally, if you have a Bible. This is where you got it from. These are the people who gave it to you. If you have any kind of basic creed, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, anything like that, this is where it came from. These, these are your people. This is your family heritage. Uh, and so there's a sense in which there's an inheritance uh, and there's a lineage that, you know, all of us have that we're, you know, that we're estranged from. And uh, I just find, you know, for, for myself and for the people who have, you know, uh, you know, interacted with who who kind of been on a similar path. Just you know, getting in touch with that past is so rich and so life giving. You just find there's so much more there than you ever ever could have could have imagined. So that's for for me. I, I mean, I have a passion about that and just you know, kind of sharing during this folks and stuff and just you know, you, you know, saying, hey, look, this is this is yours. If you are a Christian in any kind of sort of Bible observant sense whatsoever. This is yours. This is the, this is the people who gave it to you. And, you know, 
they have you know what they what they have to say both you know in their lives and examples and then in the way that they've gone and passed on the interpretation of scripture this is all meant to be yours mm-hmm. this is the, you know uh, if 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 we are you know use um use Rome, uh, the line from Romans 11 that Paul goes and uses, uh, you know, if we're, if we're sort of this wild olive shoot that's grafted onto, you know, the rich, the rich kind of root of, of Israel, um, we have that, but, and, and so, you know, we're, we're in, we're in, we're into that tree, but we individually, we're, we're kind of these far off branches that most of us don't know how it was that we ended up getting in this tree besides somewhere way down, you know, <laughs> I guess we're told that Paul, Paul tells us it happens. No, like you, you're grafted into this whole thing here, this living chain of witnesses that have gone and, you know, given, you know, given you what, what you have so far and what you and your own context have experienced, you know, to be true. So, uh, yeah, be, being in touch with that and actually seeing, well, this is how I'm connected with it all is, uh, at, it's, it's pretty life-changing experience. It's pretty awesome. I will thank you for your encouragement um, on how to get grafted in and just your encouragement on where to get started with the church fathers. I, I know I'm, I'm like walking away from this conversation going, okay, I'm going right to open source. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> go check great. out what I can start reading. That's great. Um, and I mean, for me, like stuff like this, like, like, I mean, that's, uh, you know, with, with my work, anything like that, I mean, you don't have to take, take my word for it. I, you don't have to believe a word of what I say about, about anything. As long as, as long as I, I kind of get you to go look at the sources that, you know, them, themselves, uh, you know, that's, uh, I, I think that's really where the, you know, where, where, where the gold is at. And so, well, I, I got to tell you, like, um, I haven't had a chance to read your book entirely, but just from as I was going through, like, I love the way you organized it. Like, it's very detailed as far as like how you're looking at each church father. And um, I love the, the way you organize every chapter. You made it very easy to like even skim through to like, oh, get to this next section. Um, but before we go, when you read Galatians 2 and Paul's talking about works of the law, after all of your research and I feel like, you know, that meme of that, the math lady, where there's like all those like calculations in front of her. Have you seen that one? It's like a, a lady who looks kind of confused and there's okay. all these like mathematical symbols. Yeah. That's like me sometimes when I read the Bible. Like there's yeah. like, I don't even know how to look at. So I'm wondering, like, as you kind of like looked at works of the law yeah. under the lens of church fathers, new perspectives, you have such a great knowledge. Like when you look at those texts now, how do you personally kind of take them? Well, it's, I mean, it's, it's great to be, uh, to be able to, um, be informed by all of this witness and then to come back to the text it, itself and just to sort of see things in the text that might not have seemed so plain initially. And then just be like, that seems really plain now, doesn't it? Um, that seems really, you know, really obvious. And so, um, which is, you know, I had experience for, uh, InterVarsity has a dictionary of Paul and his letters is coming out in a, in a new second edition. So I had a chance to write the article on, on, on works of the law for this, which oh, was, which awesome. is great, which is great fun. And it was great to go into synthesize, you know, all of this and kind of go back to the texts themselves and just put in a really short form. Hey, what does this seem to mean? Um, and it's really interesting if you just take Galatians, uh, you know, there's a really tangible reference point, actually, as far as what Paul's talking about, where he goes, he talks about, you know, the law that came in 430 years after Abraham. Um, and, you know, that doesn't go and nullify the promise. Well, what does that refer to? Well, you, you have the promises made to Abraham, then you have the law given, you know, at Sinai, and then afterwards that, that continues on in the desert and all the desert wanderings under, under Moses 430 years afterwards. 
Um, and as far as what's Paul talking about, that seems really clearly in a fairly obvious sense to be to be the referent. And so you you have um, you know within uh, within the context of this you know the story of Israel, you have the promises that are made to Abraham. You have Abraham you know, being justified before God so that he is actually righteous by faith and that he is going to have seed who are going to go, you know, be, be like him. And then you have the law of Moses come in 430 years after. So the question is, well, what's, what's the deal with the law of Moses? Now, in a sense, the law of Moses, there's, there's all kinds of good things to go and say about it because it, it constitutes, you know, Israel as, as a nation. It goes and it, in a sense, goes and serves the promises, you know, at least for a period, that are made to to Abraham, um, but it doesn't go and fulfill those promises because it goes and it, it demarcates and delineates, you know, this as only one people that's separated from all the rest of the nations, uh, and the promises that are made to Abraham is, you know, in, in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth are going to be, you know, they'll all be blessed in you. So not just one family of the earth, not just one nation. But every nation, and you find that you know restated five times in Genesis. This is the great hope uh, that is, you know, that that Genesis goes and points to. If you've got, uh, you know, Genesis one to eleven is everything going wrong in every way you can imagine. Uh, you know, Genesis twelve is this promise that God through Abraham, through Abraham's seed, is going to go and to to give this worldwide blessing that's going to go and set things right and it's going to set humanity right. Um, the law of Moses doesn't go and fulfill that promise because it, it just goes and it sets, it sets, you know, one nation here. So it's clearly not the fulfillment of that. It also goes and is reflective of the, instead of going and sort of solving the problem of, of humanity's hard-heartedness, it's reflective of that problem because it goes the same way that, you know, that, you know, Egypt was hard-hearted. So, so Israel is hard-hearted. And so when they go and they rebel in the desert and you have the golden calf and everything that goes along with it, here you have what's supposed to be the, you know, the vehicle, the agent of this worldwide salvation itself being subject to the same sickness that, that, you know, that Egypt and everybody else was too. And so this clearly doesn't go and solve it. And so what, you know, what the law of Moses does, so and think in the context of, you know, Galatians, it goes and says like, you know, why then the law? Well, it was added on account of transgressions. It was added because we, in our sinful condition and our hard-heartedness as a as a nation, we sort of had to be kept in by these all these different mandates. So when it comes to you know everything related to sacrifice, when it comes to the things that we had to you know to to you just think of the comp, the complex body of legislation that you have in you know books like Leviticus and Numbers and things things like that. This is all added because of our hard-heartedness. Um, that's that's why you have everything that's here. Does that mean it's bad? No, it doesn't. But it does mean that if God goes and fixes that hard-heartedness, if he solves the hard-heartedness, if that the promise made to Abraham and his seed, if that goes and comes true, well, then this isn't going to be necessary anymore because it's made precisely on account of our hard-heartedness. So if God goes and fixes the hardness of your heart and you use you know, things like what you get from you know, Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 36, where he, you know, he circumcises your heart. He takes out your heart of stone and gives you a heart of flesh or Deuteronomy 30, um, or, you know, the, the promise that God's going to go and, you know, circumcise your hearts. If, if all of these promises come true, then this body of legislation, as, 
as valuable as it was for this period and for constituting us as a particular nation that was going to go and be the vehicle of these promises, once these promises come true, once, you know, by the Holy Spirit, we have been renewed and redeemed, if you go and insist upon those things anymore, the only thing that you're saying is that the promises haven't come true, that Christ isn't actually the seed who goes and fulfills all these promises, that the Holy Spirit hasn't actually gone and redeemed you and set you free and taken out your heart of stone and given you a heart of flesh. If you go and you stick back to the, you know, the, the, you know, the laws of bondage, as you get in you know, Galatians 5.1, if you go back to that, are you just saying that none of that's actually happened? So you are really cut off from Christ. Um, that, that I think is as far as understanding what's happening in the works of the law in the context of, you know, Galatians, for, for example, uh, that's in, in, in saying that, you know, the, the, the early fathers, that's really helped me to understand, you know, what Paul is saying and the specific reference points in the context of the entire narrative of scripture. And then also why it is that Paul, you know, in a place like Galatians five, would get so angry and say, hey, I wish these people would emasculate themselves. Because, like, if you said to me, like, hey, wow, man, I wish you would emasculate yourself, I would think, like, wow, I don't <laughs> know what I did that was so wrong there, but, uh, that I, I, you know, I'm sorry. Um, or I would just think, you, you know, you're a crazy person. Um, the Paul, you know, Paul is not being a crazy person. There is a real thing that in going and trying to make everybody adhere to the old Mosaic covenant and say, no, these terms are all still in effect. There's a real thing that they're doing. They're, they're denying the advent of the Messiah. They're denying the new covenant coming into being and into existence and the, and the fulfillment of all these promises. And, and, and so doing, they have really cut themselves off from Christ. And so he's not, he, he's not making stuff up. He didn't wake up on the wrong side of the bed. He's just able to put the pieces against like, this is what this means. So for, for me, that's been really, really helpful as well. And then when I kind of come across something like Galatians 5, I'm like, okay, he's not crazy. And he's not just sort of like, whatever, <laughs> fill, fill, fill in the blank. He's really onto something here. And, it, and to me, it's also funny, like, as, as Paul's thinking about circumcision and the law and like, and then equating it with emasculate yourself. You really want to, you really want to go down that path? <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, uh, <laughs> I don't want to go too far down the road with, road with jokes like that, but it is one of those things where you're a kid reading the Bible and just think, boy, it is interesting that this constitutes inspired scripture. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, Paul going and saying, I wish you guys would just cut yourselves off the whole way that there is a sense in which this is actually the inspired word of God. <laughs> and it's, and it's funny because if you look at it, I really think it's true. I think that there's once you actually put the logic together and see what you know what Paul is onto, it's like wow, that really is what they're what that that that's the real significance. He's he, you know like, he's he's not he's not exaggerating. He's not um, you know it's 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 not just waking up on the wrong side of the bed or you know fill fill in the blank as as you will. Dr. Thomas, I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast and sharing your insights on your latest book. For those that want to keep up with your research, what's the best way for them to do that? I don't really do a whole lot of on online stuff. I mean, we have, you know, we have three, three kids. And, uh, so I don't, uh, you know, I'm, I'm on Facebook. And so I, you know, I share, I share stuff on, on, on there, uh, you know, pretty, pretty often, but I'm usually, it's usually either CS Lewis quotes or quotes from the church fathers, or 
um, videos of, of Raphael, our son, eating spicy peppers because he really likes spicy peppers. And so <laughs> that's most of most of way. Yeah, I don't I don't kind of do the sort of Twitter blogs stuff, things uh, other, other things. So uh, that's probably the that's that's pro- probably the best way to kind of follow anything that's that's on there. I wish I had a better answer for you, but I'll try to go on your podcast again at some at some later date if there's anything else that's new that come, comes yeah. up. Yeah, keep keep up that way. Follow Mike's yeah. podcast. And I'll make sure to uh, link to um, your faculty page at the uh, the school yeah. you're at. Yeah, awesome. For people to build connect with you there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Thomas. Great, thanks a lot, Mike. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Dogato Podcast with Dr. Matthew J. Thomas. His latest book dealing with Paul's understanding of works of the law is packed with fascinating research and biblical insights. And I don't know about you, but totally challenged me and inspired me to start reading the early church fathers. So that leads us to this episode's question. Dr. Thomas talked a lot about the dynamic nature of biblical interpretation throughout the ages and how different theologians debated these core ideas. Studying church history can help us gain empathy for others' viewpoints. This conversation has me super interested in learning more about Roman Catholic theology and early church thinking on scripture. How about you? Has this discussion prompted you to study church history? Let me know by messaging me on Instagram, TikTok, or Twitter at Delgado Podcast. Next time, we're chatting with Dr. William G. Witt about his latest book called Icons of Christ, a Biblical and Systematic Theology for Women's Ordination, as he shares the Protestant and Roman Catholic perspectives on women's ordination and shares the biblical and theological case for why women belong in pastoral and leadership roles in churches. It's a conversation you don't want to miss. And if you found this podcast helpful in any way, please let me know by rating the show on iTunes and or leaving a comment. Your vote can help the show get more visibility. Thank you so much. Take care, and we'll chat more next time.